All right, if you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter number uh, 6. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. As you turn there, boy, I was singing that song. And what a, what a wonderful song. When you're singing the songs, be sure to read the words, all right? And think about the words. Uh, just the, uh, the fact that, man, salvation uh, and that Jesus carried our sins far away. What a blessing uh, to think about that. That's praiseworthy. Amen. That's why we gather here together this morning to say, praise the Lord. My sins are gone. Uh, the sacrifice has been made and uh, the Savior has saved us. That is a blessing. And we certainly thank God for that. Second uh, Corinthians chapter number six. I'm not preaching on that, though I could. And then that next verse, boy, he's coming again. Hallelujah, that trumpet's going to sound, and uh, we're going to be out of here. I uh, talked about that this morning in the adult Sunday school class, and what a, what a blessing to know, hey, when that trumpet sounds, man, I, what a, what a ma could you just imagine, I, I can't imagine how many places will just be vacant. I mean, uh, it's just going to be crazy, but praise the Lord for our salvation. I'm going to preach this morning on walking with God. We live in a day, really, when Christianity, uh, and I say it this way, Christianity, air quotes, uh, is trying to merge itself with the world. In other words, Christianity is trying to say, well, here's the world, and you know, it's okay, we can all kind of get along, and, and it's not so bad. And, and listen, that is diametrically opposed to what the Bible teaches. Uh, and so uh, I want to look at that because it's such a problem. Many of the world, many, of, many people have a philosophy. Well, you know, I just want all I want. I'll take this and make it my ticket. All I want is my ticket to go to heaven. That's all I want. I don't want my life changed. I don't want anything different in here. I still want all of my, uh, the same things that I've always enjoyed my whole life. I don't want to change anything. I just want to get a little piece of paper that says I'm going to heaven. Listen, that's not salvation. Uh, that's not what salvation is. Uh, it's not just a ticket to heaven. And, and listen, sometimes we're prone to think, oh, this is new. It's the day and age we live. This is not new. Okay, this has been going on since the days of Paul. Uh, it's been actually we go back before Paul. Uh, it's been going on since the, the Garden of Eden. But you look at the two two Pauline epistles, uh, the, the some of the lar longer letters that he wrote was first Corinthians and second Corinthians. What was he dealing with? He was dealing with Christians who were trying to stay in the world and claim salvation. And he taught separation and he taught getting away from the world and, and how our life is to be different. And, uh, and you read through all of that and you'll find that in, in the books of Corinthians that he wrote. And uh, those are the same problems that we deal with today. They're not different. Technology is new, that's certainly true, but the problem is still the same. Sin is still sin. Uh, it's just taken on new forms. Uh, Mind-altering drugs and alcohol, th those really go in the same category because alcohol uh, takes away your clarity of thought and makes you do things that you shouldn't do and uh, makes you think things that you shouldn't think. Well, drugs do the same thing. And perversion and idolatry and pride and contention and strife and gambling and adultery and jealousy. All of these things have been around since Adam's day. Uh, I mean, there's sins in the world and you see that we have a whole book that talks about them and gives us illustration of all of those things. And so merging Christianity with sin is just not compatible with the word of God. And he talks about that. 
And so we need to have a walk with God. And the Bible gives us a very clear way to do that. Second Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 14. The Bible says this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I was looking in the wrong chapter there. That's why I didn't say what I thought it was going to say. Verse number 14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For, watch the words on this. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and will be their God and they shall be my people Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I want us to look at this passage this morning and, uh, and think about our walk and walking with the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, for your word and how very clear it is. God, I pray that you would use me. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. God, I pray that you would touch each and every heart, Father. And, and God, that we would know, recognize, realize, and understand, Father, that we are to be different. We are a chosen people. We are a called out people that, that God, we should, our salvation should make our life different. God, I pray that you would improve press that upon the hearts and minds and lives of every believer, Father. And God will certainly thank you for that and give you the honor and glory for all that is said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this passage, uh, I want you to notice first and foremost the caution that stands out. This is several verses here, verses 14 and 15, is really the caution that is being issued. And, and I want to spend a little bit of time on these verses, but I want you to notice who the, the context is there. In verse number 14, he says, and be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, Paul the Apostle is writing to saved people uh, to the church that is there in Corinth. And so he's writing to people who have been saved. They've been born again. But I want you to notice the distinction because there are believers and then there are unbelievers. There are those who are saved and there are those who are not saved. And he makes that distinction by saying, hey, be not, he's talking to saved people, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers, and he issues them a caution. And as he does, hey, I want us to understand that, that you, you don't fit in the category of a believer unless you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. Uh, I like the wording that he uses. He uses unbelievers. Further down, he uses believers. And listen, the Bible says, in John 3, 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. 
You know what the biggest problem, many people, when I witness to people and talk to people about salvation, you know what the biggest problem is? Number one, they don't see themselves as lost. They think, oh, I'm okay. I'm not that bad. I mean, after all, I've not killed somebody. I've not done uh, any heinous crime or anything like that. And they don't see sin as sin. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, I was talking, uh, my son Micah, he, he was painting and he was talking about um, taping before you paint. And uh, I, we, we used to, in Peru, we had to paint our house before we left. Every single time it was rental and if you didn't, they charged you an exorbitant amount of money and kept all your money and they didn't, uh, they didn't give it back to you. So we always had to paint these houses. Well, I, I'm economical. I'm not cheap, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm just cautious. I'm careful about that. So what would I do? I painted my house myself. I mean, good night. I mean, I'm not going to pay somebody a bunch of money to do all that. And, and so sometimes I'd hire, I hired one guy to help me on, on occasions and, uh, and I was painting a house and, and, and he said, let me show you how to do this. And, and so, man, I, I, he taught me how to paint and, and I was grateful, you know, and, and he would take that brush and it was amazing. He didn't tape nothing. And, uh, and he would take that brush and he would cut a line straight and he showed, he showed me how to do that. And, and so, man, I, I learned it. And we were talking, I was talking to Micah the other day, and, and he's, he paints, you know, during the summers and stuff. And he said, man, we tape everything, and we're a professional paid crew. And he said, you know what? He said, you might be able to take a paintbrush, and you might be able to cut a line. But honestly, you will not get it perfectly straight. It all depends on what your standard is. It all depends on what you're willing to accept. And for me... Not that particular about paint, especially a house that I was going to leave. Man, I just cut a line and it looked really good. It really did. I mean, it was, man, unless you really got a, got a straight edge and put it up there, you're not going to notice. But listen, the Word of God is a straight edge that exposes even the slightest flaw in any life of any man. And the Bible's very clear that we all have sinned. The Bible's clear about that. It is a straight edge. It, the standard of God is absolute perfection. And we, none of us, measure up to God's standard. We're taking a brush and we're cutting a line and we're saying, man, I, I didn't go clean onto the other wall, so it doesn't look that bad and it's okay. But God says, no, it's not okay. It's not perfect. And the standard is perfection. Sin is a transgression of the law of God. Our society has gotten in their mind that sin is a transgression of the law of the land. No, no, no. The land does not set the law of God. Our land might say that it's okay for two men to get married, but God does not say that. God still calls it sin. And so God's word sets the standard for perfection. Per Per perfection and not the law of the land. And God's word says that, uh, listen, that or sin rather is a transgression or a disobedience to the word of God. And listen, the Bible is very clear. Uh, it says, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. If you've broken the law of God in one point, if you've, if you've only told one single solitary lie, you're still guilty of the whole law. 
You go back to Adam. What did Adam do? You know what Adam did? He disobeyed God. That's, that was his great sin. He didn't, Adam didn't kill anybody. Adam didn't go around and try and exterminate a bunch of people. Adam was not a, a, a wicked, vile person. Adam was a man that broke, that disobeyed what God told him to do. And because of that, the Bible says uh, that, that all of man has been condemned because of that. The Bible says in Romans 5, 12, uh, Whereas by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Listen, we don't have to sin even after the same, the Bible goes on and it says uh, that we don't even have to sin after the same uh, similitude of the transgression of Adam. It doesn't even have to be the same sin. The fact is the matter that we have all sinned. And listen, once we realize that, we need to understand that you are punishable for that sin. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. You know, a person, well, we'll say it this way. A man, and all the women will say amen. A man will never stop and ask for directions. Amen? All the ladies are saying, amen, it's all right, it's true. They'll never stop and ask for directions until they realize they lost, they're lost. And even then, the majority of them will not stop and ask for directions. That's just, that's the way we are. And, and so, uh, so uh, listen, the same thing is true spiritually. A man will never, or a person will never get saved until they realize that they are a sinner standing condemned before a holy, righteous God. They have to realize that they're lost. And so we find that a believer is somebody who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation. Listen, the majority of the people, they, you know what the next thing is? Well, I've done enough good works to cover my bad works. No, the Bible doesn't say that. That's not how it works. That's not what God's standard is. God's standard is absolute perfection, and it is impossible for us to live up to that standard. That is why Jesus Christ came to die on the cross. Listen, if it were good works, why on earth did Jesus come to the world? It'd be a waste. But listen, it's not good works. The Bible is very clear about that. We must put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation. So the very first thing I want you to notice in the caution is that there's a distinction between believers, those who have realized their loss, they've put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation, and they're trusting in Him, and then there's those who are not saved and they've not trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the distinction. There's believers. But I want you to notice this. The broken relationship after salvation. Look at here. Verse number 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And here's his reasoning. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? I want you to notice first of all the, the yoke that is broken. He's saying, hey, listen, that, that yoke of bondage is no longer there. What is a yoke? 
A yoke is a, a physical piece of wood that goes between two oxen when they would plow. And it keeps them both going the same way. And so one oxen can't go this way and the other oxen go this way. They are tied one to the other and they're going to go the same direction no matter what because that, that physical uh, bond that is there is going to make sure that one does not veer off and go a different direction. And what he's saying is, it's used figuratively in our passage, that, hey, listen, sin and the bondage of sin no longer controls the direction of our life. Praise the Lord for that as a believer. That yoke is broken. The Bible says in Leviticus 23, 16, I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, that ye should not be their bondmen, and I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you go upright. We talked last week about the nation of Israel coming out of, of Egypt and, and out of that bondage. They were in slavery in Egypt. And listen, God said, hey, I broke that yoke of bondage. I freed you from the slavery that you were enslaved to in sin. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, there's no reason to put yourself back in bondage with that of the world. That yoke is now broken. And he's going to talk about how it is broken. And he's going to describe it. Look at all the words that he illustrates over and over and over. Paul was a masterful teacher and he explains it uh, with the same uh, idea and concept with many words. And he says this, he says the fellowship. Uh, he talks about that in verse 14. What, um, For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Fellowship is a state of being together, companionship, partnership, association. Hey, listen, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we sang about it. Hey, we are made righteous. Not because of our righteousness, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed us, washed us, made us righteous. And listen, what fellowship does righteous have with unrighteous? Well, the answer is obvious, none. They're, they're completely different. They're completely separate. And we ought, not know, we ought not longer continue in the paths of unrighteousness because there's no fellowship. There's no partnership. There's no association with that sin. Look in verse 14. He says this. Not only does he say fellowship and yoke, but notice this. Uh, for, for what fellowship? And then he goes on. He says, what communion hath light? With darkness, communion is the act of sharing or agreement. And he gives an illustration of light and dark. You know, if you walk into a dark room and you light a, a candle, or what we use today is our phone flashlight, and you turn that thing on, you know what? The darkness is gone. Uh, now, there's still a little bit of darkness around, but right there where that light is shining, it's gone. You can't mix light and darkness. They don't mix. There's a very clear difference between the two. Hey, God established that way back in creation. He created a greater light that ruled by day and a lesser light that would rule by night. Uh, and so he's saying, hey, listen, there's light and there's darkness. They are two distinct, separate things. Why is it that we think, well, it's okay for a Christian to join hands with the world? It's okay for a Christian to walk and live in the world like the world and enjoy all the same things. It's not possible. 
We're two separate things. There's no, there's no fellowship. The yoke of bondage has been broken. There's no communion. We're not to continue in a fellowship or communion with the world. Look at what he says in verse 15. He asks this question. And what concord hath Christ with Belial? What's the word concord mean? The word concord means state of agreement, harmony, or union. Christ, we understand that. That is God, uh, the, the, the Messiah, uh, Jesus Christ. Belial uh, is used to represent all that is evil and all that is wrong. And he's saying, what fellowship does Christ have? What agreement or concord or association does Jesus Christ have with all that is evil? And the answer is obvious. There's none. You see how clear he's made it? He's saying, hey, there is a distinction. There is a difference. There's no fellowship. There's no communion. There's no concord. The yoke has been broken and we've been freed from the world and all of its wickedness. Look in verse 15. He says, what part, uh, verse 15 towards the end, or what part hath he that believeth, there's our believer, with an infidel? What's an infidel? An infidel is simply an unbeliever. Somebody that doesn't uh, know the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. And to be honest with you, the answer is we don't have anything in common with them. I mean, you talk with them um, and listen, you know what they want to do? They want to talk about uh, going out and drinking or going out and partying or going out and doing this. And, and I've often told people when you get saved... Usually, you don't have to separate your, from your friends. They usually separate from you. Because you're like, well, I can't do that. I, I don't want to do that anymore. God changed my life. I don't want to go out drinking. I don't want to go out partying. I don't want to go out doing all these things. And all of a sudden, your friends are like, see ya. I don't want to be around you. You're no fun. Because they, they love sin. They want to be involved in sin. And a Christian should not be comfortable with sin in their life because this is what he's describing. The relationship with sin and with the world is broken. The fellowship is broken. The communion, the concord, the part uh, that, that a, a believer and an unbeliever have is gone. Look at verse number 16 and he says it again. In what agreement hath the temple of God with idols. I love that phrase because the temple of God uh, is, is twofold. It stands for the Old Testament, the actual temple, and then as we see in our passage, it will stand for the Christian body. But listen, understand this. Uh, one of the things in Israel I, I thought was interesting, our guide said this, there were three things and I thought I wrote them down, but I did not. But he said, he said a, uh, I think it was a Roman or somebody came to the Israel and, and uh, this was years ago. And, and one of the things was that he noticed was one, in the temples, there were no idols. You realize in Jewish temples, all the way back to Solomon, there were, even before that, there were never supposed to be graven images. There were not supposed to be idols. God made it very clear. As a matter of fact, you think about this, the Jewish synagogues and, and our churches today, uh, not all our churches, but Baptist churches specifically, and many um, Christian churches, I hate to use that word because it's so vague. We don't have idols. We're not bowing down to anything. Why? Because, listen, there's no relationship between uh, idolatry and the temple of God, the true temple of God. 
In other words, uh, all, many, many religions, the majority of the world religions, you go in and guess what? You bow down to this idol. You kiss this idol and that idol. And you go to this one and many of them have multiple idols. You go to this idol for uh, rain or this idol for uh, fertility or this idol for good crops or this idol for uh, whatever and they have all their idols. Listen, he's saying, hey, there is no relation between those two things. It is different. And he's saying how it's changed and there is not all of those things any longer. Why? Because there's, uh, there's a new relationship with God and he ends with, hey, listen, everything has become new. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Praise the Lord for that. Hey, if you're saved, you have a new life. I grew up in a Christian home. I thank God for that. I was saved at a young age. I thank God for that. Looking back, one of the things that I struggled with over my life for many, many years was the fact that there, there was not a real great change that came into my life per se. I mean, after all, I already went to church three times a week in the nursery. You know, before I could talk, before I could walk, I was in church on a regular basis. And many times if you grow up in church, hey, there's not going to be this massive change in your life. You already have, praise the Lord, you had parents that took you to church and instilled good habits in your life and, and taught you the word of God. And so sin didn't have time to take root. Not that you weren't a sinner, because you were. I was just as much as anyone else. But I just didn't, I didn't have all the habits of the world. But if you got saved later in life, you know this to be true. You're saying, man, my life changed drastically. Man, the, those things that, that were in my life, man, when I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, I no longer desired those things. And when I did them, I found out immediately that the Holy Spirit inside of me said, that's wrong, you should not do it. And you said, man, I don't want that anymore. And there was a change that took place in your life. Thank God for that change. And that's what he's saying is the relationship with that world has been broken and, and all things are now become new. And we see the caution that he's issued saying, hey, don't try to go back to the world. There is no fellowship with that sin. There's no communion. There's no concord. There's no agreement. There's no part with anything that has to do with the world because our life is new. Look at verse 16, I love this. We see not just the caution that he issues, but I want you to notice the companionship with God in verse number 16. What a refreshing verse. He says, and what agreement, he finishes up, hath the temple of God with idols. We talked about that. Then he gives them this, for ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Listen, praise the Lord for a wonderful relationship, a companionship that as believers we enjoy with God himself who sits on the throne. We have a companionship and he starts off with the temple. Hey, listen, that is adoring and worshiping 
the Lord Jesus Christ. The temple was a place of worship. Uh, listen, we come together on Sunday and we don't have a temple. We don't call it a temple. It's a church building, but the church is the people. Those are those who have gathered here. Hey, listen, this place is known as a place of worship. When we come in here, we sing praises from the hymn book and praise the Lord and we thank God for the, uh, for the ability to be able to sing and, and praise the Lord and it is a place of worship that we would give testimony. On Tuesday night, we gather here and we had pie and praise. Praise the Lord. It was a blessing to hear the testimonies of people that would give praise and give thanks to God. And this morning uh, I had a couple tell me a, a blessing that happened in their life. Praise the Lord. That exci that's exciting to me that we can get together and we can worship God together and say, hey, look at what God has done in my life and look at how God is working in my life. And we can collectively praise the Lord together. What a blessing. But can I tell you something? God wants you to worship Him on every day of the week, not just on Sunday. Your body is the temple. That is a place of worship. That is a place of adoration to God. On Monday morning when you get up, you know what? Worship God. On Tuesday morning when you get up, Worship God. On Wednesday, worship God. On Thursday, worship God. On Friday, worship God. Why? Because the Spirit of God dwells in you. You are the temple of God. The temple was always known as a place of worship. The Jews, praise the Lord, were not Jewish. And I'll tell you why I love the Jews. And I thank God for them. They brought us our Savior. They preserved the Old Testament. Praise the Lord for the Jews. But I'm glad I'm not Jew because I don't have to go to a temple to worship. I can worship God every day of the week because he said, my body is a temple of his. He dwells with me. Listen, don't take that and say, well, I'm not coming to church next Sunday. No, no, no. The Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. There's something about getting together with other believers being a blessing and being an encouragement to other people. But listen, you can worship God because you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that He dwells within us. Look at what that's our next thing. In verse 16, He says in the middle of verse, I will dwell. Listen, not only is your body uh, the temple for adoring God and worshiping God, but listen, He said, I will dwell. And that means He's abiding with you. Praise the Lord. When you got married, a couple of my son-in-laws just got married this, this year. And listen, have you ever lived by yourself? I remember I lived by myself when I got married. I didn't like it, didn't enjoy it, and I hate cooking. So I didn't do very well. When I got married, I tell you what, my wife moved in. I noticed immediately there is somebody else living in my house. For one thing, the toilet seat was down. Somebody comes in your house, they're going to change things on you. They just are. And, and, and praise the Lord, all the changes were good. I was glad for the changes. Hey, listen, Jesus Christ moves in your life and abides with you. Things are going to be different. They're not going to be same. You can't expect them to be the same. They're all going to change. Your life is going to dynamically change when the Lord Jesus Christ 
abides with you. He is staying with you. He's not there temporarily. He's not there just to visit. He's not there just to have a meal with you. He is moved in on a permanent basis and he's not looking to move out. He abides with you. Praise the Lord for the relationship, the companionship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, not only is it a place of adoration, not, is a, not only is your body uh, the fact that He abides and dwells with you, but look at what He says there in verse 16. He says in the last part, He says the second last part, I, uh, and, and walk in them. Not only is He going to abide in in you and with you, but listen, he's going to accompany you everywhere we go. We think of home as being at home. Man, I'm, I'm out and about. I am not at home. My wife's like, well, I don't understand why you can't relax. Well, I just can't. I don't know. I relax at home. I relax at home, man, when it's just my family. I'm just there and I'm just relaxed. I go out, I'm not very relaxed. I just don't relax very well. I, I don't know, maybe it's a fault I have. But listen, we think of a home as being our place and our abode and our place that we stay. Listen, Christ abides with us, but that doesn't mean he's just at our house. Every time you go out and you go to work, every time you go to the store, and every time you go out into the streets, listen, Jesus Christ accompanies you. He says, I will, what does it say there? He says, and walk in them. We're talking about walking with God. Hey, listen, everywhere you go, you go to Peru, South America, God's going to be with you. You go back to Oklahoma, go to college, God's going to be with you. You go to New Jersey and go to college, God's going to be with you. You go to Timbuktu to visit family or go on vacation, God's going to go with you. You go to, uh, to South Africa or Asia to, to be a missionary and to preach the gospel or even for work. Listen, God goes with you because he walks with you. Praise the Lord for that companionship. Listen, why on earth would you want to walk with the world when you can walk with the creator of the universe? And I don't want the world. I don't want the wickedness that's in the world. I don't want that kind of garbage in my life. I mean, I'd rather walk with God and know that he's with me everywhere that I go. We have the companionship of God. Look in verse number 17. He issues a caution in the first two verses. And, and in verse 17, he shows us the compassionship of God in verse number 16, excuse me. In verse number 17, he says this, wherefore, and that means because of the caution. Hey, hey, listen, we don't have any relationship with the world. We don't have any fellowship. We don't have any uh, concord. We don't have any part in the world. Wherefore, and because God moved into our life and made us the temple and he dwells with us and he walks with us, uh, therefore, wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. Listen, he's not talking about salvation. We talked about that in the very beginning. This is not receiving for salvation. This is receiving you as a child of God and having a good working relationship with God. 
sometimes anybody who is a parent can understand this and even if you're not a parent you can kind of understand the idea because you're a child of somebody maybe sometimes your 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 relationship with your parents isn't always good because one reason or other maybe you got out of sorts with them or they got out of sorts with you but that relationship isn't quite what it is but they're still related and the same with God God is still our Heavenly Father. He will still love us no matter what unconditionally, but He desires to have a good working relationship with us. He wants to be able to be in fellowship with us. That's why He's told us to break fellowship with the world. And He says here in verse 17, Wherefore, because of the caution, because of the companionship with God, Come out from among them. We see the coming out. Listen, uh, we, need to, uh, we lived in the world before our salvation. We lived for self and for pleasure and for whatever it was that we lived for. But after salvation, he's saying, hey, listen, that needs to end. We need to cut all of that off because the yoke of bondage has been broken and I want you to, uh, to be separate and to come out from the world. To step out and be different from the rest of the world. Listen, I'm not talking about being weird and being crazy. We have enough people in the world that are weird and crazy. We do not need more weird, crazy people. What we need is Christians who are going to say, whoa, that's, that's sin. And God in his word prohibits that. And I'm not going to do that. And, and if you're going to go on and do that on your own, you're going to do it on your own, but I'm not, I'm not doing that stuff. And I'm going to be different in that aspect. Now, I want to follow the Word of God. He's saying, separate yourself from worldliness. Come out from among them. From who? From all that he's talking about. Belial, from um, unrighteousness from uh, darkness, from all of those things, come out away from that. Your life should be changed and should be different and be separate. I'm reminded of the word, of the, of the verse, Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And he says this, and be not conformed to this world. That's the, that's the hitch right there. Because a lot of Christians are saying, well, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. And, and they are. I'm not saying they're not saved. But what I'm saying is they're trying to conform themselves to this world. They want to blend in. They want to, they want to look like everyone else. They want to talk like everyone else. They want to act like everyone else. They don't want to be different. Listen, God has called us to separate from the world. He goes on and he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And he's called us to come out from the world and to change. And how do we do that? He says, by the renewing of your minds. Listen, that's by the Word of God. You spend time in the Word of God. You spend time reading the Word of God. You spend time in church singing the hymns and learning the songs we sing, which are spiritual songs, which is biblical. He says uh, that we ought to sing to ourselves with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And, and listen, all of that's going to influence your life. And the more you get away from the world, 
the closer you'll get to God. I remember I went to Bible college, and I had a particular music thing that I would listen to, a guy. And, and when I went to Bible college, I found out it wasn't allowed. I said, okay. So I left them all at home. I said, well, I won't listen to it. And, and as I was at Bible college and, and all those years, I, I went home after that first, first year of Bible college. And, man, I, I grabbed one of those. I said, well, I haven't heard this guy in a while. I put him in, listened to him, and I thought, I can't believe I listened to this. And I'm not saying it was wrong. I don't even tell you the guy's name. I'm not saying it was sinful. I'm just saying when I got away from it and I tried to go back to it, I just found it didn't appeal to me. It wasn't, it wasn't, I said, man, I, I don't, I just don't even need this in my life. I want to live for God. And I want to have a clean life. And there's things that we need to separate from to draw nigh to God. And listen, there's some things that we hold on to and we say, I don't want to let that go. Maybe that's the thing you need to let go of. And say, I want a walk. My walk with God is far more important than anything that exists in this world. Maybe there's some things that you need to let go of to enhance and better your relationship and your walk with God. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. He issues a caution. He tells us that there's a companionship with God. That we are the temple, that He dwells with us, that He walks with us. Then He says, come out from the world and be separate. Father, I pray that You'd help us to be willing to let go. God, sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. But God, there's nothing, absolutely nothing in this world worth holding on to that would cause a detriment in our relationship with you. God, I'm not talking about losing our salvation. We know that we are saved eternally in you. God, we know that you'll love us but God, I'm talking about a personal denial of ourself so that our relationship with you can be the absolute best that it can ever be. God, help us to cut ties with the world. Help us to cut ties with our pet sins. Help us to cut ties with everything that is unrighteous. God, you're holy. And God, we're not perfect. I know that. But God, help us to be as clean and as right in our day-to-day -day lives as we can possibly be. Help us to maintain a very close, personal relationship with you, a walk with you. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and we have a hymn of invitation, maybe God's spoken to your heart this morning. Maybe there's something that you need to let go of and say, God, 
my relationship with you is more important than this thing. And I want to let it go. Maybe you're here this morning and I was talking about being a believer and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And you say, well, I'm not for sure that I'm saved. Why don't you ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior this morning? Trust Him as your own personal Savior. It's the most important decision you will ever make in your life. And if you do that, maybe you say, Pastor, I'm, I'm not for sure how. I'd like, I'd like to talk to you. Listen, why don't you come to the altar? I'd be willing to take a Bible and show you from the Word of God how you can know for sure that you're saved. Maybe you're a lady. Hey, we'll have a lady show you from the Word of God how you can know for sure that you're saved. It's the most important decision that you'll ever make in your life. Maybe you're a Christian. There's just something that you're holding on to. Why not give it to God? Why not turn it over to Him? As the piano plays, the altar's open.